0: Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast where we take a peek behind the scenes into different fields of social work, engage and inspire practitioners, translate research into practice and encourage lifelong learning. I'm your host, Mariva Carcas. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Welcome to episode 10 of the Inside Social Work podcast. Today I'm interviewing Cardeen Aaron who is an accredited social worker who specialises in EFT, which is emotional freedom techniques. She has more than 25 years of combined experience in community services and natural therapy industries. Cardeen has worked with hundreds of people in individual group and community settings. EFT has become one of her favourite transformational tools and she's passionate about sharing this technique with others. Cardeen effortlessly combines her knowledge and skills to provide an interactive, practical and safe space for students to learn EFT tapping. And she's got a special promo for our Inside Social Work listeners. If you mention this podcast at the time of booking a course, uh, she'll offer you $50 off um, one of those EFT courses. So... Nice deal there for you, and so you can uh, find some details to the sh- in the show notes about the web for her website and details about upcoming trainings. Welcome, Cardine.
1: Hi, how are you? I'm
0: wonderful. It's so glad to meet you. I guess. E- Thank you for e- having e- me. Thanks for having me, Marie. So, could you share with the audience a little bit about your social work journey and uh, how you ended up specialising in EFT?
1: My social work genie. Wow. It's actually a big question. I mean, originally I started off in natural therapies and at 25 I became really unwell and suddenly couldn't work anymore. And I thought, what am I going to do? I can't work. I can't go from a 50 hour week to nothing. So I started uh, studying community services at TAFE and when that had finished, I still wasn't able to work. And I thought, well, what's next? So I so thought I'd give uni a go. And that's how I sort of ventured into the area of social work. And, um, yeah, for me, it's not been like a typical journey due to my health issues. So when I got to uni, I found that um, I couldn't read the readings or it take me 10 attempts to read a single sentence to make sense of it. And I didn't know what was happening. Eventually I found out that my health condition was affecting how my brain was processing things. And I went from the highest like, distinctions in get a TAFE to failing. And I had to pretty much change the system at uni to allow for them to allow me to study part-time. So that, that really started my social work journey, having to change the system, even in social work, believe it or not. Um, in order for me to have access and equity at that time. It sounds like maybe it was inside you all along, that idea of advocacy
0: and um, changing the system a little bit to to meet people's individual
1: needs. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in social work, we're supposed to be about access and equity, and I just found it kind of bizarre that it wasn't being offered in our training. So I had to change that, not just for me, but it meant that other people could also study part-time, which opened it up for people with other uh, living with other disabilities or single mums in particular, to be able to have that opportunity.
0: Wonderful. And what were some of the early uh, positions you had? You said you worked in community services. So what were some of the roles that uh, you started off in as a social worker?
1: Yeah, so before I finished my degree, I was working in lesbian health as a lesbian access worker at various women's health centres. And I also did, once I uh, graduated, I worked in family support in a disability service organisation. It was shortly after that that I decided it was much better for me to work for myself, really. (laughs) And what what kind of led to the EFT? How did that?
0: How did you become exposed to that? What, mm. yeah, what kind of drew you to that method?
1: I was just exploring online for ways to help my health, and EFT popped up, and I read it, and I'm like, oh wow, I really need to to learn that. So I enrolled in my first EFT training, and I was just amazed because when you attend EFT training, it's very practical. You're practicing each other, and I picked an event, a traumatic event to work on that I thought I'd totally done in counselling. After years of counselling, totally done that. Oh, no, they almost had to get a bucket for me to vomit in. (laughs) Well, so it had quite a profound impact on you just doing the training. That's right. So that, that event, I had no emotional response to thinking about it. Yet once we began the EFT process, all these emotions and physical sensations came up that our body had still been holding on to after all those years. I find it such an interesting area of work that's making its way a
0: little bit more prominently in in private practice at the moment is looking at not just talking therapies but how the body holds trauma and how it holds Mm. pain and experience. So I think EFT is a really good one at looking at, how we hold that within us where traditional talking therapies might not,
1: like you said, you might not have an emotional connection to it, just talking about it. That's right. Until you start tapping and the beauty beauty of EFT or one of the beauties of it is we don't have to actually talk about the traumatic event. When we're starting, we don't even need to talk about the emotions. We can just work on the physical sensations and then that, can have an impact on the emotions at the same time without actually directly working on the emotions. Oh, it sounds really interesting.
0: For those who don't know much about EFT, could you give us a little bit of an overview of of what is EFT and um, maybe some of its origins or, or history and any research that kind of comes with that?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a few questions there. I'll try and answer them all. <laughs> have to remind me them. So EFT is a Evidence-based mind-body therapeutic tool. It's often referred to as a stress reduction technique. It kind of makes it easier for people to digest. You know, a lot of people find it really bizarre to think that you can tap on the body and it has such a great result. But it is evidence-based. There's a lot of evidence. A lot of research behind EFT now. There's more than 120 published papers. And um, in all different areas from post-traumatic stress disorder to anxiety to uh, trauma in hospital, you know, children who go to hospital for extended time, there's a lot of re- there's research about that now, research about using it for children in schools to improve their emotional regulation and learning... There's a whole body of research. comes So what does it, we mentioned the, the
0: tapping and the body connection, but what does it actually look like? So if you were watching someone run a session, sure. could you describe to, the, um, to our listeners what
1: does it actually look like in a session? Yeah, yeah. In an EFT session, the practitioner will do the tapping on themselves and the client will tap on themselves generally. So you don't touch the client? You mirror, they mirror what you're doing to your own they body? what you're doing and they're very upset because with EFT, you often don't see this aspect online. It seems you know really dental line but some when you start using EFT emotions can come up that a person has been storing in their system for their lifetime and we resolve those in the session but at the time you know if someone's crying it's a bit hard for them to tap on themselves at that time I would uh, ask permission to tap on their hand for them so, but for the most part, people tap on themselves and that way it's empowering and we're using their words where it's, where it's a bit different because we're used to reframing words and trying to make things in a positive. In EFT, we're not doing that. We're focusing on the painful emotions or sensations and really honouring those. Think If you think of it a bit like you have a cup of dirty water and the – that dirty water represents all of our painful emotions and sensations. When we tap, it allows that cup of dirty water to empty so that there's actually room for our natural state of being, the more positive state of being, whether it's peaceful or happy. So uh, in EFT, we would begin with a setup statement, typically using the words that the client has used, and we would be tapping on the little finger side of our hand and they would be tapping on the same spot and we would do a setup phrase. So a setup phrase typically has two parts. The first part is acknowledging the issue and the second part is a statement of self-affirmation. So an example of that would be even though I have this anxiety and it makes me feel sick to the stomach when I think of driving, I still deeply and completely love and accept myself. That would be an example of a set up statement. Mm.
0: And do you help the the client create that, or do you do you use their exact own words? Because I imagine for some people to be that unconditionally loving towards themselves would
1: be really difficult. Well, that's right. So that's where you have to meet the client where they are at, and you we word the ending the self-affirmation part um in a way that fits for that client and that might be just to say even though this happened I'm still a really cool bloke you know or it could be even though this happened I'm still open to being open to loving myself yeah okay so it's a matter of finding where the client's at throughout the whole EFT process and through the statement, the initially the practitioner formulates the statement from what the client has shared using their words. Because it would be a bit overwhelming if you come into a session for the first time and all, all of a sudden have to make your own uh setup statement. Yeah. But as time goes by, you invite the client to start formulating their own. And after the first session, you give them homework to start doing EFC on themselves. Typically the first session, you're teaching them how they can use it in their everyday life, which makes it very empowering. There's, There's a lot of tools where clients can take away the first day and start using it straight away.
0: And do they use that same statement throughout the course of treatment or does it change to each situation? Like how many sessions does it take? Do you work on one one kind of emotion for a few sessions? what's the kind of setup of that?
1: So the setup statement, the pattern doesn't change. It's always the honouring the issue following the self-affirmation. How that statement said changes as you progress through a session, because normally new things will come up or they won't have the same intensity of emotion sometimes even after one round and so you'll check in and say well what's happening now and then you'll formulate a new setup statement and so it changes depending on the moment throughout a session and certainly throughout sessions how many sessions someone needs really depends on them and their their history and what they want to create for example if someone's had a car accident it's a very specific. Uh, event you're working on so often you can resolve the trauma associated with that car accident in one session yeah if it's sometimes you might need more than one session and working on different aspects the memory of the event uh how you respond to sounds now uh different smells they all might be different triggers and you might need to work on those For somebody who's experienced longer-term trauma, well, then there's many traumas to work on. Yeah.
0: So you already mentioned there a few of the different, um, I guess, things that EFT is good for. So you've mentioned some trauma, and I would imagine something like a car accident might fit into the PTSD category. Yeah. What are some other, I mean... I've heard that it's also helpful for for pain relief for managing dieting and and cravings or even trying to get on top of your finances when our emotions are kind of dictating our behaviours. It seems that EFT can be a way to break that cycle.
1: Absolutely. When we're talking about finances and abundance, we look at what are our beliefs behind money and spending money on them. Availability of money—all those stories that we got as children—that added to our programming around money. Yeah. Uh, then we can work on cravings. There's been a lot of studies into using EFT for cravings, and it's very successful. I remember um, after one of my trainings in level one, we work on cravings. We do a group EFT exercise, and one of my students rang me a week after and says, oh, "I'm so upset with you, Cardine." I'm like, oh, She said, Well, we did that cravings exercise on Tim Tams, but I can't even enjoy hot chocolate anymore. (laughs) Because we're working on the emotional attachments that don't serve us anymore to that particular food.
0: So it's looking, is it looking more at when we're using? Like I know you mentioned with finances, it's like your beliefs about money and availability of money. So what would be an example of maybe something that's hooked a person into a negative relationship with finances or, you know, can you share an example
1: of what that might look like? Yeah, so typical family stories are money is always hard to get. Sometimes people will feel uncomfortable with seeing a certain amount of money in their account and you might apply EFT to, to their comfort of having money in their account. Um, we're taught that money doesn't grow on trees. If you think of all, the, all those statements that we've all heard about money or money is dirty or money is the root of all evil, which is just ridiculous. Money is just an exchange of energy. What people do with it is up, is up to them. You know, so we look at those belief systems that we're, that we're so programmed into yeah. when it comes to, to finances. And um, so we always look at different aspects. But you, you're asking what else we can use EFT for. And um, we can use it, obviously, for the abundance and the cravings. We can use it for post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a lot of research looking into using um, EFT for war veterans Extremely successful. Gary Craig, the founder of EFT, he has a documentary on YouTube you can watch and it's incredible. I use it in my trainings. It can be used for to prove health conditions. For example, I had a client who lives with Parkinson's. Not a, not a typical health condition we relate to trauma, yeah? Yeah. Well, she wanted to work on the event that she feels triggered the Parkinson's for her. So we didn't work on the Parkinson's. We worked on the, a traumatic event that she identified as being important. We worked on that event once. Previous to working on that event, she used to shake pretty much her waking time. She used to wake up nine times a night to go to the toilet, I checked in with her a couple of weeks later, she couldn't even remember what we worked on. And this was an event that used to replay every day for her. Wow. No, that's great. Well, what's changed? Well, I'm hardly shaking anymore. If I do, it's only for half an hour if something upsets me. Great. What else has changed? Oh, I'm sleeping through the whole night now. I'm not waiting to go to the toilet anymore. Fantastic. What else has changed? I can take a joke now. Right. by the way this is what we worked on because you always test and um, she's oh I don't think about that anymore and when I think about that person I have no reaction anymore. would have had a major anxiety attack oh that's an incredible transformation it is and you know that's where we never know when we mm. experience trauma how it actually plays out in our health in our body Mm. One of the one of the key things that I've noticed
0: in EFT, and it's similar with a few other modalities, like a particular act and a few others, where the first hurdle for people is accepting their situation at the moment for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do you find that that's something people struggle with? So until they can accept that, yes, I'm in pain,
1: and this is what caused it, they can't move through. The tapping and through some of the others no because the tapping kind of takes care of that yeah a person doesn't even need to believe in tapping for it to have results so they don't need to really accept where they're at because through the process of tapping often it just totally transforms and changes yeah, so it's different in that way. They don't have to make a conscious decision for that. Same as in EFT, we don't need to make a conscious decision to turn a bad experience or an unhappy experience into a positive. We don't need to do that because once you tap away that and release that dirty water as such, a person just makes the shifts themselves naturally. They'll get new insights if they've had a level of discomfort that's a 10 and they're down to a one, they're just not going to have the same association to that person, event or physical sensation that's upsetting them. So the positives just naturally occur through the process.
0: And what, um, how long does a session normally last? Is it your same sort of 50-minute session? Yeah, about an hour. Yep. And can you do that, you is it always face-to-face? Is it online? Can you do it as a group? What are some of the different ways that you can use EFT as a practitioner?
1: Great. So particularly for social work, it's such a good tool. We can use it on ourselves. And one of the great things is when we're using it in practice, it reduces rates of vicarious trauma because while you're listening to whatever person's sharing, you're also de-traumatizing yourself at the same time. So it's great for our self-care. It's obviously great for working with individual clients and it's also a wonderful tool for using in group work. Um, sorry, what was the
0: question again? I- Just some of the different ways that you can use it. So, yeah, you oh, yes. said group work. And so in a group setting, would each yes. person have the same – um problem that they bring into therapy or can they each work on their own thing so one person work at cravings one person work on finances one work on a childhood
1: one topic
0: okay so the whole group would work on let's say finances
1: yeah finances or stress anxiety or cravings typically you would have a theme when you're running a group and yeah. you'd be working on that theme when it, and it's more global when you're working in groups because you're not getting into the deeper specific person, yet it's a really safe way to begin. And in group works, it really builds bonding very quickly when you're using EFT.
0: Okay, wonderful.
1: They're bouncing off each other. During EFT sessions, when it's individual, we can do it face-to-face. We can do it online, say over Zoom. Or we can do it on the phone. Sometimes I'll walk in the park with a client and I'll meet them in the park. It's very flexible. Okay. And
0: you also, so in addition to delivering um, EFT therapy yourself, you also train other clinicians and practitioners. So can you tell me a bit about the training you run in EFT and you've got a few other ones
1: as well? Sure. I provide EFT training around Australia, currently in Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, and next year I'm coming to Melbourne, so I'm really excited about that. (laughs) The training is practitioner level, so it's not like you're attending a day and it's just, you know, the basics. It's actually practitioner level training that I offer. It's endorsed by the AASW for 44 CPD points when people complete it. It's very practical. EFT training is always very practical. There's theory, and a lot of the theory I uh, get my students to do before they attend class. So I have a component of online learning that people do before they attend, and then we revise that so that we have more time to do the practical in class. Okay. and then. We- assessments that people need to do if they want to be a practitioner but that's optional so once someone does your level one EFT training what are they qualified
0: to be able to offer what can they do um, once they've completed that training
1: level one is is not practitioner level it's a basic level okay level one is EFT you would do either on yourself or teach clients how to do on themselves yeah so it's the beginning Level two is practitioner level. Mm-hmm. Once people complete the assessments for that, then they can be an accredited practitioner and get, even if they weren't at social, they can get insurance for that. And level two would do more advanced techniques that you can't really do on yourself. So they're more practitioner level techniques.
0: Okay. And so once someone's done that, they can then use EFT as one of the therapeutic tools in there. Um, sessions right. with clients.
1: They can still do that with level 1. I mean level 1 has great tools that you can use to help your clients just not on as deep a level as level. One. Yet level 1 you can still teach your clients how to use basic EFT on themselves after their first session with you. You can still get great results in cravings and trauma and anxiety and stress reduction. Just with level one, it's just that the level two is more complex and not techniques we can generally join ourselves. Okay, and how
0: many hours is the level one and then how, how long is the level two course?
1: Sure. Level one is three hours before you attend, so the online learning is three hours and then the training is seven hours. Level two at the moment is two days. Okay. So that's 14 hours. And then for people who choose to do the assessments, then there's assessment time on top of that. If, if you add it all up, it comes to about 44 hours all up, including assessments, which is why you can get 44 CPD points.
0: Okay,
1: awesome. So having
0: used EFT yourself, what are some of the things that, I mean, you shared an example earlier where you were just kind of you did it on yourself and you felt like, oh, I, I, didn't, I had, didn't have it, think I had a connection to this particular topic, but is there anything you've learned about yourself through this process or anything that really um, stood out to you as kind of a personal growth or a moment of realisation by doing the EFT tapping training?
1: Oh, look, there's so many. I've used EFT to improve my health and wellbeing on so many levels, whether it's using the pain for the pain disorder I I live with or transforming my relationship with my mum or just dealing with everyday stress and anxiety. I did a fasting recently at Easter and I hadn't had emotions come up during fasting before, but this time I had all these feelings of abandonment come up while I was fasting. I'm like, Oh, well, I haven't been stuffing all those emotions down with eating so I was using EFT to get through that you know, It was either give up fasting or EFT so I gave EFT Use EFT to get through that emotional discomfort that I was feeling during that but it certainly has really transformed my life I wouldn't be able to be traveling around the country teaching as I do without EFT. Wow that's a that's a huge difference considering you said you
0: were you know in the early days of social work um found it quite difficult to get engaged with the academic side to now be training across the country is a, is a
1: huge change. You've come such a long way. Well, I used to fall asleep. I used to fall asleep at TAFE. (laughs) I think we all, I think we all did. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah. So it has made a a major difference to my life and it, it just inspires me when I use it with clients or even in training and demonstrations and see and be a part of the transformation that happens in people's lives.
0: Wonderful. So you've got a little bit more information on your website. Do you want to give listeners um, some information on how they can get in contact with you?
1: Sure. Uh, If you want to go to my website, it's embraceempowerment.com. There's information there about EFT and the other services that I offer. You can certainly find me on Facebook. um, And that's it. Embrace Empowerment EFT Tapping Training. They're the easiest ways to find me. Um, Yeah. And and I'll put a
0: link to those in the show notes so people can um, click on those. So just going back a bit um, before we sort of start winding down, what are some of the tools or resources you can recommend to uh, maybe early career social workers or just new graduates? So either things you wish you knew or just, pieces of advice for those just um, stepping into the, the wide wide world of social work?
1: Uh, there's so many. Uh, the biggest advice I can give people, social workers, is to have an open mind because often our different workplaces can be limiting in their culture and some of the, the culture in workplaces don't really meet Expectations that have been set at uni in regards to self care and access and equity in the workplace, for example. And I think it can be easy to become disillusioned. Yeah. Uh, because there isn't that. So I think the big thing is to be mindful of your own ethic and to have an open mind. Like if I didn't have an open mind to what I wanted to do with my social work practice, I wouldn't be travelling around the country teaching now. Mm. But I knew that I needed to find a way that I could be a social worker because I love being a social worker and work for myself, ultimately. Yeah. What I do now. So our our biggest asset and tool is really ourselves and our own framework of thinking. Yeah. So really to
0: keep an open mind and not to have those rigid expectations that you kind of hear about at uni because workplaces might not have that.
1: Yeah, and be true to yourself mm-hmm. and be mindful of the different cultures in work. One thing that comes up um, on that is we talk often about the importance
0: of supervision. I mention it, I think, in every podcast episode when we talk about self-care and burnout, we talk about the importance of supervision. Yes. And a lot of our listeners have mentioned that in their workplaces, that's not often offered to them in that kind of robust way. So I think it, it does come down to that expectation again that every workplace will understand what a social worker is and you'll have a supervisor who's qualified and experienced and can help you through those. What's your experience with that? Did you find find it difficult to have good supervision in workplaces? Did you need to source it externally? Uh,
1: In women's health, my supervision, no, at Cumberland was really good. I had really good supervision there and at Katoomba mm-hmm. I had great supervision there and others not necessarily so great. And in other organisations I've worked in, supervision is more like are you doing your job? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's that line management. How many on your caseload? How are you going? Any exits, any
0: intakes yeah. rate done. But-,
1: but not about you and your professional development as such yeah. and that's not, there's no care in that. Mm. So I need to take responsibility for that, and as an EFT practitioner, I have my supervision with other EFT practitioners, and that's a part of our supervision. You know, we're tapping, exploring, um, practice from a from an EFT perspective, and then I go to different. Uh, like groups, if you're a member of the ASW, there's a eco-social work group, there's an LGBTQI social work group, practice groups. That way I can connect with other social workers and to discuss any issues that I have in, in that level if I wanted to connect on a social worker level.
0: Yeah, I really like how you mentioned you had to take some responsibility for that because I think that's really challenging for social workers is often we feel like we're giving so much to other people and sometimes we feel like nobody's got our back and then Mm. we have to on top of that go seek out our own supervision but I know it can be really challenging for some people I just think it's it's such an ethical responsibility to make sure you're connecting with other practitioners absolutely to keep check of yourself because I mean I just did um an interview prior to this on um, burnout and we can't prevent, like we can't keep giving once we've burnt out. So it might not be today, it might not be this year, but yeah. we really shorten our work life, ex- like our, you know, career life expectancy if that's we're right. not checking in with that.
1: And that's where EFT is a great tool. I know like, A lot of my students, are social workers or psychologists, now that they're using EFT, they're feeling less fatigued at the end of the day. Um, when they use EFT with clients because they're tapping on themselves at the same time. A lot of my students will tap in between clients on themselves or have a practice where they'll do some EFT at the end of the day, just to release the stress of the day or the stress of the workplace. Yeah.
0: I think that's a really good strategy to kind of make sure that you can kind of not compartmentalize, but debrief and then go into the next session fresh.
1: That's right. And it's, you know, really easy self care, so easy to do. You could do it anywhere. I mean, you can be at a stressful meeting and be doing, squeezing the points in your fingers, that nobody would know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I often teach that to, to students around, um, to young, like when I work in schools for some mindfulness and meditation type techniques where you can, you can try and, you can squeeze your hands under your table. You can have all these kind of tools and deep breathing that nobody can see you doing. Exactly. And any kind of parting words of wisdom or advice for the audience? So you've mentioned um, having an open mind and um, a little bit about workplace culture. Any any resources that they can go look into? Anything you want me to put in with the show notes?
1: Oh, look, resources really, really that will differ depending on a person's interests. And I think it's really important to stay passionate about you're passionate about i know a lot of social workers i'll start working one area and feel like they can't go and work in another area of social work and it's it's really limiting to think that yeah in this day and age there's so many possibilities as a social worker and we don't have to stay working for other people and we don't necessarily have to stay just using the tools that organizations expect us to have I think it, you know, ultimately, if it works for you, consider private practice because you can be so creative with private practice and how you choose to do private practice. You know, for me, I, I I'm not a Medicare provider or NDIS provider specifically, and that works for me because I like to do things a bit alternatively. But for other people, being able to get that Medicare provider number ultimately and sessions for NDIS and victim services well it's a great way to work for yourself and be a social worker Mm. absolutely passionate about what you do and have variety in your work yeah ultimately we're responsible for enjoying our work and not getting burnt out
0: yeah and I think that's really hard for people because we know that you know you have bills to pay you have mortgages or family you have that sort of stuff but it, it is worth taking a bit of time out to think what's going to be the most nourishing for me because you you can be so depleted the work is so tough and we're often dealing with the most difficult stories of people's lives and that's our whole day
1: yeah all organizations just keep taking and taking and taking from us oh yeah (laughs) you know I used to find that the organizations and the other workers is far more stressful than my clients (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's an interesting paradox isn't it Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of power plays in social work, and a lot of politics in workplaces. You know, social work is not void of that, you know, unfortunately. That's why it's important to stay true to your own ethics. You know, we can look at different areas of social work and the workplace cultures, you know, are really terrible in a lot of them or how they view clients is not necessarily very empowering for the clients, isn't that? Where you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror every day and say, you know, am I being the best person I can for my clients?
0: Yeah, and I think that's really important is, is rewinding that to what are your values? Like am I sticking to my values? Am I doing work that I'm comfortable with? Is it honest? Am I being honest with myself? Mm. Yeah. they're really big difficult questions to have and we often have them with clients but we don't have them with ourselves
1: they are big questions and they're good questions particularly in the current environment where services more and more are expected to function like business uh, yeah and the more and more that happens the clients actually are becoming second rather than first mm. Profits are becoming first and then clients second in, in the environment that that's currently being created by our government. Yeah, it's, um, it, I guess we have to keep that
0: advocacy component of social work because it is, yeah, it is a very difficult climate where things mm-hmm. are based on performance and outcomes and measures of, I guess, either client load or caseload that maybe don't reflect the actual work being done.
1: Well, exactly. It often doesn't reflect the actual work that's being done or progress being made. And sometimes it's a bit more about hours you put in rather than the output and the, and the, the results that clients are getting. Yeah. And it kind of, you know, it just does my head in. and that's <laughs> right. I couldn't work for an organisation again because my focus is very much about my my clients and what can I do to build capacity for them to help them feel more empowered and be more empowered in their own lives. Like that's, that's my focus. And that's why I love doing what I do. Cause I can do that. Mm, absolutely. So well, thank- organisation, I can't always do that to the same level. Yeah. Well, we could have a whole other episode just
0: on absolutely. organizational change and you maybe we'll, we'll park it there, but thank you so much. So just to, uh, let people know the show notes will be on the website check in with what Cardine's doing you can look at embraceempowerment.com uh, you also have there a free ebook that people can sign up to the mailing list for so 15 minutes and under self-healing techniques
1: i do and soon that will be changing to a free one-hour eft course excellent so uh will people get a notified of that through they if they're on the mailing to- list yeah if they sign up to the book they'll be on the mailing list and so they'll get notified right.
0: excellent and then listeners can receive fifty dollars off um eft training if they mention the podcast so get in touch with That's Cardine, amazing. and hopefully we'll have some people coming to visit you in perth and melbourne
1: and where else were you going Sydney, Brisbane, and I'm working on my online live training as well. So it'll still be live but online for all the people who are unable to travel. It'll be on Zoom, so there'll be breakout rooms, so they'll be able to practice in real time. I'll be able to still observe them and they'll be able to ask me questions in real time, so that's exciting. Wonderful. Some really exciting things coming up. Yes.
0: Um, and I hopefully we can meet face-to-face when you're in Melbourne for a coffee. Yes, yes. Okay. I'll be in Melbourne in February. Great! I can show you all the uh, the local coffee spots.
1: <laughs> That'll be lovely. All right. Thanks so much, Cardi. Thank you, Marie. Bye. Have a beautiful day.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode's resources, and don't forget to click subscribe and review us wherever it is you get your podcast.